Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition, another episode of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is when, uh, is Tuesday, the thirteenth of uh, of December, twenty twenty two, with myself Shajil Ahmed and also, of course, uh, Saad Ahmed uh, as well with us uh, as well. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing really good. Shajil, how are you? Alhamdulillah, by the grace of uh, of God, Allah, Allah the Almighty, um, I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Um, it is uh, quite cold now. It's really cold. It's really today. cold, isn't yes. it? <laughs> it's really cold. Um, and you know, it's the uh, you know it's it's the feeling that you get when it's cold. And um, some you know, especially I don't know about you, but when you know because the World Cup is happening yes. right now, and we're used to the World Cup happening in in the summer, so the vibe is a little bit more different. But, but now it's summer over there. Summer over there. I mean, the, I mean, the weather's always good over there. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, the weather is um, it is getting quite, quite cold here in in London as well. Of course, you know, in, in the whole of the UK uh, as well. But because our because we are in London at the moment, um, specifically talking about the weather over here, is it, it is uh, getting quite uh, quite chilly as well. Yes. Um, we have some interesting topics that we're going to be speaking about um, uh, in today's show, in the beginning of the show, on this part of the show, the first part of the show. We are going to be um, uh, going to be talking about the NHS, and um, I mean the big question: should it be should it be privatized? It is part of the public sector. Yes, it is. Um, you know, it's open access. Uh, you know, people can uh, people can come. People are. Uh, are in sort of you know entitled to it. I mean entitled in the sense that any, anyone is welcome, everyone is welcome, and they can come. They can get the benefit from these services as well. But there's always this big question, like other things, like like like, uh, like the train system, like uh, like the Royal Mail, like other things as well, because they have been privatized. Um, should the NHS be privatized as well? This is a very big question that a lot of people ask, and there are some mixed opinions about this uh, about this question as well. So this is what we're going to be talking about in the first part of the show. The second part of the show, we are going to be speaking about the G20 Interfaith Forum. Um, uh, something interesting to do with that as well, which is taking place in Abu Dhabi uh, as well. So it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll speak a little bit more. About Indeed. that a little bit later on. You know, when this question came up that um, should the NHS be privatized, mm. you know, this question was um, uh, being pay, played back in my mind over and over again. Should it be or shouldn't? Uh, should it stay public? Mm. And you know, there are quite a few questions I want to ask our experts today also, mm. and see if they're able to answer those. And hopefully, even our listeners, if they have any ideas or have any opinion regarding this, and Shajil, if you can tell them the number and uh, where they can contact us. On. Of course, they can call on. On zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's you know the lines are open. It's a live show. We 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 want we want your uh, you know your views, your opinions as well. If you have any uh, opinions that you want to share with us, with our listeners as well, with Indeed. the wider audience, you can call us. The number I'll tell you again is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Or you can tweet us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Send us a tweet, or um, you know go onto our Instagram page. Uh, Voice of Islam UK. You can, you know, also uh, leave us any 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 direct messages there uh, as well. Um, you mean DMs? Yeah. 
yeah, the younger generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. So, you know, in the Holy Quran is mentioned, you know, verily Allah enjoys justice and the doing of good to others and giving likes kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. He admonished you that you may take heed. You know, as we know, um, the UK um, NHS, the National Health Service, is known for the service that it provides to, to, to help the patients. The NHS was introduced uh, in 1948 and was intended to cover most uh, medical bills so that those who were living in poverty or were uh, uninsured could be treated. You know, healthcare is available for everyone in the UK without any cost for treatments. The NHS, for our listeners, you know, NHS provides doctors and nurses with job security and great progression and experience of op- uh, experience opportunities. You know, it's uh, NHS mm. uh, um, is it's a really good thing. You know, a free medical care. You don't have to pay for it, and it's 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 a good situation for the public. Mm. Where you know, in some other countries where you have to pay um, quite a a, a premium yeah. to get those yeah. access, we get it for free, and. I'm grateful for living in the Britain uh, in the UK for this um, opportunity. If, for example, if I have to go um, to NHS, mm. obviously there are two sides of every single thing. There are some good sides as pros, uh, pros, yeah, and pros and cons. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. That's the word I was looking for. You know, the the thing is good that we mentioned this as well. I'm I'm very much for um, for for it to remain a public yes. sector. Though this is just my opinion anyway, because the reason why is because you know basic necessities. Such as, you know, if you go to America yes. and you want to, someone is seriously unwell and uh, they they need to get rushed to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, they're not that affluent. Maybe they're a little bit destitute. They, they're a little bit, you know, they don't have that much money. They have to think about calling the ambulance. Indeed. And they have to pay for the ambulance. Yes. You, did you have to and in, over here in the UK, we don't even have to think about that. Yes. Somebody is ill. They need to get rushed into the hospital. 999. Boom. Call the ambulance; they will they will come Correct. straight away. I mean, maybe not straight away, but you know they will come and they will take you to the to to the hospital. But in other countries, you know, the example which I gave, which was um, which is you know in America, they can't call the ambulance because I mean they can, but they have to pay for it. And this is why a lot of people, you know, sometimes you see that a lot of pregnant women mm-hmm. they have to they have to get they have to get an Uber, they have to get a taxi to go to the hospital. Wow. Because they can't call, they can't call the. I mean, they can, like I said, they can call the ambulance, but it costs them. Mm-hmm. And there's so there are some things which, which, which you know, which, which sometimes we take it for granted here in the UK, that because it is for free, um, and we don't even think about that this is actually one of the basic things that we have and that we're fortunate enough to actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. But then. We have uh, other other countries. They have other policies. Yes, and for them, a bit this might not be a this might be a privilege. It might not even be a basic necessity as well. You know, that's the thing I want to find out from our um, experts regarding this. You know, uh, for Germ for for example, Germany, mm. uh, they have a health system, but you have pay a premium beforehand. It cu- it gets cut off from your um, wages beforehand uh, before you get it, and or you their self employment. There are many different criteria for it, but for a normal common uh, uh, like myself. Who gets a, a, a check every month, right? Mm, mm. So they cut it beforehand and then give you the the pay, which is let's say an X amount. Yeah, yeah. And and they have healthcare, and but 
is mandatory in Germany to get um, a healthcare. And so over there, mm. at the start for 2017, was 100% mm. were covered by healthcare. So you have to get it or you get fined for not having one. Mm. And similarly, likewise to America, where about 92% were covered, about 8%, which is about 28 million people were mm. uninsured. That's still, you know. That's it's still it's a massive number, unfortunately. Mm. But, you know, if, for example, something happens to them, mm. they have to pay those massive bills also. But obviously, but the, the government needs to be helping out. Of course, also. of course. There, there, the many factors. So you know, with our experts today, our the doctors who are um, um, talking, um, will be talking to us today. Mm. Like mm. from from every doctor, they will speaking because they say every doctor matters, every voice matters. So we want to find out what they think about um, going private, exactly. or even for example, exactly. keep our NHS public. Right? Mm. They, I want to ask them. Okay, What do you think? Why should we keep it public and mm. not keep give it or have a model as such in Germany where everyone is covered but it's also privatized in such a way that everyone um, the treatment time is quicker over there. You know, one thing which uh, which I I would I mean I I do understand as well. Yes, is that like I said before, I I am for the NHS to to remain a a public sector, right? But it is also understood that whatever is for free you will take that for granted yes mm-hmm. if you have to pay even a little bit for for the same thing mm-hmm. you would that would have a little bit more worth yes. right so even sometimes you see and and people who want to privatize the nhs right some of the things that they say is that they say that you know the if you if you want to call your gp you know and you're not even that ill right mm-hmm. you just have a sore throat or something like you just have a cold or a fever or something which is quite mild or even if it's quite a bad one but you know that it's just you know I just I, I can get over it I can just take the, the cough syrup or some medicines and paracetamol or whatever and I can get over it mm-hmm. but they'll still call the GP they'll still they'll still you know go, go to uh, get an appointment from the GP and then they will meet the GP and then the GP will give them the same thing they will say okay you know what just take this cough syrup that you can get anyway over the counter mm-hmm. or just take this paracetamol for, for you know for three days or whatever and you can do that but and then sometimes they say people who want to privatize it they say that because it was that the people are sort of wasting the GP's time in a way in a sense mm-hmm. that you know sometimes we can you can give that same amount of time to someone who actually more deserved it okay. who was actually more ill uh-huh. who actually you know th- you know that's why and then because we don't have to pay for the GP appointments sometimes we don't sort of take that for granted i mean that's what people who want to privatize it that's what they say as well so there are some it's it's an interesting conversation Correct. that we that we are actually having as well let's um let's speak to our guest our first guest for this part of the show ben uh, ben good day who is from the University of Oxford doctoral uh, researcher department of social policy and intervention peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show ben thanks for having me on thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to begin with can you start off by by just telling us why the nhs services are being uh, outsourced yeah absolutely so one of the ways the nhs is experiencing privatization already is through the outsourcing of services to private companies mm. So we've seen that rise from around 3% in 2011 to around 8% of treatments now, NHS treatments, uh, that are provided by private companies uh, as of today. Mm. So this is, you know, your nan might be going for a hip surgery, it's still free at the point of use, funded by the taxpayer, it's an NHS mm. service, but the doctor doing the surgery is on the books of some company that's legally allowed to take a profit for that service. Mm. 
So we're already seeing some kinds of privatization in the NHS. Right. Right. Uh, so and yeah. So the reasons for this, which is what you asked, is because we've had uh, decades of reforms um, from uh, governments that believe that having private companies involved in the NHS induces innovation and inefficiencies. And I don't think there's you know, the evidence base at all uh, to suggest that that actually pays off in terms of quality or efficiency of services. Um, but those are sort of the underlying principles that have created the uh, conditions for the outsourcing we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Now, ma- many people also believe that outsourcing NHS services will cause issues, You know, just, have, just as you mentioned as well, you alluded to, in financial stability of the NHS. So how how would this actually impact it then, on the whole? Yeah, so uh, the main worries with the NHS with this kind of outsourcing are that the private companies will often treat uh, healthier patients and do the simplest treatments. Mm. That's because it's the most profitable for them, um, but also because patients that have complex treatments uh, uh, who might need emergency care are best off in the NHS hospitals anyway, Uh, because they might need to move around to different departments in the hospital. So this kind of imbalance, where you have a private sector doing uh, really simple and profitable services and a public sector that's now uh, left doing the more difficult and intense work, uh, Mm -hmm. the worry is that the NHS hospitals aren't financially uh, rewarded enough for that imbalance. And then there are other knock-on effects from this too. Uh, Things like doctors need to be trained on simple patients or... Uh, hospitals need to sort of have interconnected working between their departments, uh, things that um, will be lost when you have increased in outsourcing. Yes, um, you know, uh, and you said 8% uh, percent of the NHS patients are now being treated um, by private companies, but the bill is being paid by the government. But for example, I wanted to ask this, if let's say if we have a model in Germany where he, for example, a worker pays a X amount of percentage beforehand, he gets his own uh, money, and from there the NHS can work uh, itself out, though the other AUKA or, or someone, the medical um, people can work it out. And once was if we privatize NHS, but keep it as, uh, for example, a mandatory that everyone has to get it, and there'll be a cap on your income-based um um, what's it called? Um, your income. Yes, your income. So your income is capped. So you have a percentage. Let's say if you're earning hundred pound a month, so the the cap is on two percent. So that's two pound a month you're paying towards NHS. So if, for example, the public will be paying um, NHS directly, will that be effective or not? Um, so for me, uh, the way that I see the NHS is already moving towards these kinds of Central European systems. Yes. Uh, so when the NHS was founded, of course, uh, all the hospitals were nationalised and we've been moving towards this sort of competitive process where you have um, the funding model is still very different, like mm-hmm. you're saying, um, yes. but the provision model is now quite similar where you have competing providers between public and private sector and as a patient you can choose which one you go to. So the NHS has been trying to move in that direction, giving mm-hmm. patients voice and choice Uh, and enabling sort of different kinds of services to have accountability to patients. Um, I think the sort of fear is that the impact on this, on the quality of care, is actually not beneficial. Okay. Uh, evidence often is, you know, sorry. Um, and why is that, um, if you can explain to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, the 
when you the real worry is that when you're um, trying to induce uh, innovation by mm-hmm. having different kinds of providers, what you're actually inducing uh, is, in pro- is profit incentives uh, within N- the NHS. Okay. The real, real worry here is that it can lead to patients being uh, exploited in ways that you wouldn't in a fully nationalized uh, service. So in your opinion, what do you think um, the future holds for NHS and how can we ensure the aff- affordable healthcare system for all? So for me, when we're thinking about reforms to the NHS and sort of big picture reforms, it always comes back to what are the principles that need to underlie a nationalised health, health system. And for me, that's its universality, its comprehensiveness, that it's the highest possible quality and then it's available to everyone according to their need and not their ability to pay for it. So for me, reforms looking forward need to protect those values where they exist, expand on them where they never did exist, and fight against reforms that are undoing those principles. So those reforms are things like the immigrant surcharge, Mm -hmm. which make it much less universal, prescription fees, which make it a lot less comprehensive, and privatisation, which reduces the quality of the NHS. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us today and enlightening our listeners and hopefully we'll see where NHS um, heads towards. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. It is interesting, you know, getting um, different people's views um, yes. you know, about this as well and how, how people uh, view uh, the NHS as well. And if it does go private, then what will Indeed. happen? For, for 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 me, for my own personal opinion, for example, it should be based on something where the public and the government comes together and makes a a system where the NHS can be funded through public, but it will go directly to them. So, for example, if I'm paying tax, a percentage straight away uh, is for NHS, and we know about it. That's for our healthcare, and that be so it will be worked out quicker for us okay this this is my health insurance which is um what i'm paying right now for example if i'm paying t- um, tax which goes in whole to to my council right mm-hmm. and from there it gets divided and so on and so forth yeah. but if they if you know okay this is the amount you have to pay for your health insurance before uh, hand mm. and then i think it might even uh, you know Get up the quality of work. For, for I know what you, I know what you mean. I know I know what you Basically, mean. Basically, I want to well. cut down the twelve-hour wait for myself. <laughs> that's <what laughs> that's true. Want. That's true as well. Uh, you know, th- I mean, there there are different ways of looking at it as well. Just like uh, Ben was saying as yes. well that he he was thinking that uh, or he well, he suggested that if you privatize it, then the quality will go will go less. Uh-huh. That's what he said as well. So is I mean, so it it depends on how how you look at it. It depends on how they actually take the money in as well because we have to understand that NHS or any any health service mm-hmm. that's not that's not a business yes so if someone thinks that you know I'm going to invest money in this so that I can uh, I can make money mm-hmm. that it's not for that it's for it's for helping people indeed you know a couple of years back I saw a documentary where they covered um public and private hospitals in mm. the UK so what they said is that the do- doctors in public and private are the same there's no difference um, in their capabilities mm. the machinery which is provided to the pub- public NHS mm. is the same which is pro- uh, provided to the private uh, hospitals mm. and uh, from there we can see but they say yes the before and after care for example you get fancy um, food or some other types of food which is not um, uh, what's it called more common and you get b- better quality in your bedding and stuff 
Hmm. But the, the level of treatment, uh, be NHS or be private, is the same in the UK. Hmm. So, for for, uh, for myself, so I feel at peace. For example, if I'm going to the NHS for a checkup, I know I'm receiving the same level of treatment which someone else is receiving privately. So that's the one good. Uh, that's the good thing about NHS. Hmm. So you get the same treatment as everyone else in the UK. Hmm. Let's um let's get uh, let's get another doctor's uh, view uh, on this as well. Uh, Doctor Tony O'Sullivan, who's a co-chair of Keybar NHS Public, and a retired consultant pediatrician as well. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon. And welcome to the show, Tony. Good evening. Thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you so much for 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 accepting our invitation as well. Um, can you start off by telling our listeners why do you think that the NHS should stay public? <coughs> Well, the NHS as a form of healthcare, it gives security, or used to, I should say, gives security for everybody on a very democratic basis, shared from public funds, uh, so that healthcare is available to people without the fear of not being able to afford it, and without the profit motive distorting how care is delivered mm. and, it, and it, it used to be um, it, it was very very good value for money uh, when the NHS has been funded properly it's been able to give a wide range of a, a comprehensive level of services and for example in 2009 uh, it had had nine or ten years of catching up funding from the previous government mm. Um, and, for example, A&E waits were less than four hours in 95% of cases, wow. and people were referred and treated within 18 weeks of a referral in 90% of cases. Mm. So when it's well-funded, it was found to be uh, the, the, the best care in the world, the most sort of democratically accessible, if you, you, know, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. Everybody had the same access to it and everybody as your previous caller i'm afraid i missed most of it but the last point he made mm. it was uh, the same level of care as in the private sector so that's my motivation for it it's not it's not a moral question alone yeah. i think it is a, a, in, in a, on a certain level it's a democratic form of providing health care but it's also very cost effective and it, of course keeps the when it's when it's looked after as a service it keeps the population as healthy as possible. Perfect. So, uh, Doctor, I wanted to ask, you know, uh, I, I, st- I still have a mixed opinion regarding this. For example, you know, you said um, 18 weeks um, was the uh, time for referral. But, you know, if someone is private, um, the, that um, treatment is it gets done quicker than 18 weeks. So, should it not, should it not be privatised for just, bec- uh, just because you can see a doctor quicker than 18 weeks? Well, what I was talking about there was the performance on average for everybody. Yes. So more urgent care was seen more urgently. Okay. And I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was getting better. And and the cancer weight, for example, you know, you, you the, the 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 standard is to be seen after referral by your GP if there's a concern that it may be cancer within two weeks. And when the NHS is performing well, that's what was delivered. Um, the, the the private sector has always existed in this mm-hmm. country, uh, and I just think it's important to say that you know I, I, I don't 
I've never worked in the private sector myself, um, but the private sector has always existed. But when the NHS was funded very well and when access to care on average was very, very good and Mm -hmm. when emergency care was seen urgently, then the private sector carried on in the background and those that have the money and those that wanted to could go privately if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But actually, it wasn't an expanding sector because the NHS was available for everybody, actually actually rich and poor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I mean, uh, Dr. Tony, you mentioned that um, free healthcare, a free healthcare system, and I mean, it seems ideal and it is ideal of course, when it is funded as well, funded properly, and when it's backed by you know by by the government as well, especially when there's no cuts and uh, there's no there's no one leave the staff aren't leaving as well. Um, but do you think that if you know if, supposedly if it is privatized, um, I mean if it becomes a privatized system all like altogether, it will speed up the process, um, sort of you know the the, the waiting the waiting uh, hours or even the queues for to actually get referred or do you think that, that that will have an effect on it or do you think or what's your opinion on this well there's two ways of answering it really one is that when the nhs was funded well there weren't those long waits mm. mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and the second thing is that the long queues have have been created by the political direction of the government since 2010. Uh, and actually, the, the long queue isn't a function of a health service that's public. It's a function of underfunding. Mm. And, and if you underfunded the private sector, you, you'd have long waits. Yeah. But, but the other side of it is that the private sector is in it for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, but the staff, that, the staff that provide the operations or the opinions in outpatients in the private sector the vast, vast majority of them are health, are NHS staff doing extra sessions in the private sector. Right. Now, if they want, if they choose to do that, I've never done that. I've chosen not to do that. I didn't see any need to do that. Mm-hmm. My commitment was to a public service for the population as a whole, you know, rich, poor, black, white, whatever. Yeah. I thought this was my duty as a, as a relatively privileged, trained professional earning well I should, I should invest my care in the public service. But um, the, the people that work for the private sector who are driven there, for example, nurses, um, support staff, theatre technicians who are going there because their funding has been cut by 20% over the last 10 years, their, their take-home value of pay, mm-hmm. they, they are going there because of the government policy of stressing the NHS Mm. Uh, and um, uh, private sector treatment has the danger of a two-tier system. Okay. And of course, can I just say one one other thing? The the NHS isn't free. Uh, We we pay for it. So uh, that's that's a point that people say, you know, why should we, why can we afford free healthcare? Mm -hmm. Actually, it isn't, it isn't free. Mm. The point is, it's free at the point when you need it. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's paid for collectively. Uh, from each according to their their, their wealth, you know. Yeah, so I, I as a consultant paediatrician, 
in the health service paid, quite rightly paid, a lot more money into the social purse for the health system and mm-hmm. for other things like education than somebody who was um, unemployed or on a much lower wage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Dr. Ben, you know, a question arises from this is, for example, um, if I'm healthy and uh, I don't need um, uh, health care as such, why do I, ha- I have to pay um, X amount of money for someone who is ill and uh, that he has cancer? Obviously, that treatment is more expensive. So let's say if, if cancer is £1,000, for my regular checkup, it's £1. So why do I have to um, uh, um, help out that other person in the public funding? Who who are you asking? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, are you a doctor? Uh, me, I'm yes. sorry. I, I <laughs> yes. beg your pardon. I, I, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, I, I, I think this is a democratic principle that mm-hmm. that, um, that I'm sure a lot of people in Islam would would also aspire to. That you look after the people that need it. Yes, um, and you you pay for everybody pays into the the national purse for public services, knowing that one day they or their relative or their child, uh, but certainly they themselves may need that. They may be healthy now mm. uh, and they may have cancer tomorrow or, mm-hmm. or they, may be, they may be knocked down and injured or they may go in to have a, a, a mental health crisis that they weren't expecting. So it's a question of social solidarity, if you like, Perfect. where uh, we, we we pay into a system so that we don't have to worry, even if we don't need it now, mm. one day we will need it. And actually everybody needs the health service, even if you can't remember it when you were born, <laughs> you, <laughs> need, you need the health service. I mean, it's something that we don't even realise, isn't it? We, I don't know if you heard this as well, but we were talking about this earlier on in the show as well, that if we look over the pond in in America... We they if they you know if a woman wants to give birth they have to pay they have to pay for that as well even calling the ambulance they need to they need to pay for that as well so there are some things which we sort of take for granted um, sometimes yeah. here, here in the UK as well I mean we're privileged to have these services as well um, Dr Tony do you think that you know the way that the government is going um, they can continue to sustain the NHS I mean of course. They need to back the funding as well, but do you think that's something that that's on their agenda? Uh, I think that they have made a political choice, and they believe that they want to cut back public spending for from the state for public services, and it's not just health; it's also social care, which is almost entirely privatised, and education and transport and power and, and energy and water. And they believe that uh, the individual should pay, pay their way um, by individual choice. Now, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. We can afford the health service. I think we, ca- we cannot afford not to have a, a health service. Mm. We need a healthy population. We need an educated population. Ed- education is the is the, probably the greatest contribution to social equality yes. that there is. An educated person is is more likely to be supportive of you know justice, women's rights, mm. anti anti racism, and so on. So yeah. 
but I'm, I'm going off the point here, but the, the, the government is making a choice to drive um, the efficiency of the public health service down and has pr- deliberately promoted private provision providing services for NHS patients. So they're taking money away from building back the health service to what it should be and actually they're giving the private health companies mm-hmm. a, a real bonanza at the moment. Their, their profits mm-hmm. have, have, have zoomed, especially since COVID and the rather squalid contracts that were given to the private sector. Perfect. Dr. Tony, uh, thank you so much for, for speaking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, thank you once again and uh, have a lovely day. Well, thank you very much. Thank it's been a privilege to talk to you. Thanks thank you. Likewise. So that was uh, Dr. Tony O'Sullivan, who's a co-chair of KIPA NHS Public. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, for me, <laughs> I mean, it's the third time I'm saying it. But uh, I, I do believe that, you know, it's, it is something which, uh, which, which a, an, a, a, a government of, uh, of, uh, of a Western nation, yes. you know, Western nation, West or East, you know, a, a, a developed country, right? wherever it is, is, in the East or the West, it's, it is their duty to, to, to take care of their citizens, yes. to take care of their, of their, of their people, Indeed, the public. You know, that's, that's why I asked the um, doctor also, so mm. for example, if I'm healthy and let's say someone is ill, why do I have to pay for him? You yeah. know, when he said, uh, and it's, uh, that's the last thing I want to find out what he has to say. Mm. And then when he quoted Islam into it, you know, yeah. being compassionate and everything. Yeah. Uh, I remember oh, the, the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace mm. and blessings of Allah be upon him. You know, like for uh, like for your brother what you like for yourself. So if I'm healthy, I would like my brother to be healthy. So I, I don't mind paying that ex- extra amount of money. Exactly. That's what I wanted to find out. So what's the good things to keep um, NHS public and what uh, are the good things to keep it privatized or what are the g- bad things to keeping it public or vice versa. Yeah. So I just wanted to you know, get out um, the message so regarding NHS being a publicly funded a, a, a institution, for example. Mm. But I wanted to you know even, uh, uh, for example, at the fire brigade, Couple mm. of weeks back, um, I uh, even mentioned on the show uh, regarding this. You know, my brakes caught on fire, but uh, what I thought your, they, yours, yes, in your cars, in my oh. cars. Uh, what I thought was that they caught on fire. If I had to think about calling the uh, fire brigade, you know, if I called them after pay x amount of money, I would like, oh, okay, I I rather not call them and try something myself. But here in the UK, we are so fortunate enough that I was um, able to. Know, I, didn't, I didn't have to think about it mm. or I have to pay. Two, three, four hundred, or even thousands of pounds, just just mm. to call them over, um, just to, to help, call them over, to help just me to, out. Yeah, literally. And and I just called them over. They're like, yes, you, that's a good thing. You'd, and by then, by the by the time they arrived, the smoke went down. They yeah. said, okay, that your brakes were worn out. Mm. I was like, okay, I don't know about it because I was testing, test driving a mm. car that time. Yeah. And they were like, I, I was like, sorry, I, I do apologize. I called you, but like they they themselves said. The, the, the fire brigade they said that it's a good thing you called us for mm. example if if it turned out to be a worse event we were able to stop it on the on, on the f- nip it in the bud yeah, nip it in the yeah. bud exactly so that's the that's thing we do here in the UK we don't have to think about this stuff and you know we're so fortunate enough um, what's it called uh, living here that mm. we don't have to think think, think about it. so we, calling the police calling the ambulance you know, for our yeah, own safety uh, for our health yeah. and fire brigade, fire brigade we don't have to well. think about um, you know 
okay, could, even as doctor said, we are paying for it already, but we don't yeah. know about it. Yeah, I mean, they're coming out from the taxes as well. Yes. So, so I think, way, you know, yeah. what, in my opinion, what we should, even when I was mentioning, we should have a separate thing. Everybody says, yes, that's your NHS money going through. And you remember, oh, no, I'm paying for it. <laughs> so we don't respect it even we more. Respect it, we respect it even more as well. Um, we were fortunate enough to to interview Nick Mann, who's a GP. Um, let's listen. Let's listen to yeah, what what Nick had to say. Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to talk to you. Um, so my first question is around your claim that the NHS privatisation is real. So can you um, explain to us a little bit more about what methods or strategies have been used to privatise the NHS? Well, there are different methods used and there are different meanings in a way uh, to the word privatisation. Um, the, I think the basis of the denial was that, uh, that they're never going to sell shares in the NHS. It's never going to be floated on the stock exchange or it's never going to be a simply a pay to use service, which is how some people view it. But if you look at there are sort of four main arms, if you like, of privatisation as far as the public utilities go. Um, and they are outsourcing, deregulation, asset sales. And the fourth one is a sort of soft form of privatisation where you reduce the public offer so much that it forces people into the private sector. And in fact, in my opinion in my perspective it's only since the last of those factors has been sort of significantly in operation that people have actually started to notice um notice the differences in uh numbers of people needing to go private to get care which they otherwise would have got uh, five to ten years ago on the NHS. Um, thank you. Uh, so my second question is around what impact you think that if we had an increase in doctors and if medical students were to be more trained, what impact do you think that would have on the NHS on and on healthcare? Um, obviously, increasing the number of medical student places from the current seven and a half thousand would be uh, a good thing because there's no doubt we have a massive shortage of doctors uh, at least eleven thousand doctors short in the nhs at the moment um but also and, and that those the number of places has been frozen for a number of years. Um, the Tories increased it but to 9,000 just for one year, and then they put it back down again this year to 7,500. So that doesn't really signify that they're intending to increase the number of home-trained doctors as they've said they want to. Um, but when you train medical students, you also have to... Uh, give them places to train foundation places once they're qualified and those places are also lacking in the nhs so you can train as many students as you like but you've got to have the places for them to go to uh and to work and to be supervised further trained because there's lots more training goes on once uh medical students actually start working um and we haven't at the moment got that capacity. We're so short in the NHS that actually training and supervision of juniors is already suffering. Um, and 
you know, double the number of medical student places, well, great. But if there's no one to train them, the question is then what are you going to end up with? Um, and the other thing to say is that it seems the biggest expansion in medical student places has actually been in private medical schools. Um, so there are, I think, five new medical schools that have started accepting students. And I think at least one of them is wholly private and um, another one uh, and some of the others have a large number of pay for places. Um, so it's changing the intake. Uh, of medical students as well and that could be a problem because it's very unlikely that that people who have paid out of their pocket for their own training are going to want to devote themselves to the NHS it's uh, my guess would be that they're much more likely to head straight for the private sector um, where they can obviously make more money um so if we moving on from that if, if you think that if we have a more privatized healthcare system do you think that that could lead to more healthcare inequalities and people not being able to afford health? Absolutely. Um, there's something called the inverse care law, which means that the people who are most in need of care are the least likely to be able to access it. And that has to do with things like race and ethnicity, deprivation, um, housing, uh, communities, uh, poverty, uh, education, all those things that mean that people aren't as uh, as well equipped or uh, to navigate the health system, certainly as it becomes more complicated. Um, but we are seeing people already uh, on the waiting list, on NHS waiting lists, who really, you know, one would say could not afford to go private, who are using their life savings so that they can get out of the agony that they're in and get their new knee or their new hip or their bypass operation. Um, so it, that aspect of it is is really troubling because it is very much the people who can't afford it who are now paying. And indeed, there will be many more who can't afford it, who simply will just languish on um you know uh, indeterminately long waiting lists which is which is really not what the nhs was set up for it will markedly increase in inequality in access to healthcare something which the nhs has been uh, renowned for having the best equity of access um anywhere in the world and indeed, the, until from about 2010 to about, well, up until 2019, um, the international studies, the Commonwealth Fund International Comparisons of Health Systems, uh, put the NHS, the UK NHS, number one. Um, and it was number one in, it, with, in all kinds of performance measures, um, you know, obviously including equity and access, but also the uh, preventative care, um, uh, continuity of care. We had the biggest reduction in mortality uh, amenable to health care from 2017 to 2019. So even in the the, the one area um, of, of health care outcomes uh, for breast cancer and colon cancer, where we were lagging, um, seriously lagging because of a lack of diagnostics and a lack of CT and MRI scanners, a lack of people to run the radiotherapy machines and give the chemo. Um, even though we've made improvements there, 
Um, we are, you know, we the NHS has been a, a paragon of uh, a model for provision of healthcare to a country with the best equity, the best access, and apart from those outlying um, uh, factors, the the best outcomes. Uh, so it's really sad to see that the the NHS since two thousand since twenty twenty one has slipped down already started to slip down those rankings and uh it's very much in keeping with us losing the nhs that we you know i've certainly grown up with and worked in all my adult working life i've watched it deteriorate as a direct result of government policies um uh, you know they cut four thousand training nurse training places in 2010 um they've cut the nursing bursary you know they've done so many things which actively run down the quality and the standing of the health service um whilst saying that they are doing more and more and more they're clearly not doing what they say they're doing they have been running down the health service under this government um and of course when you look at the policy documents from well as far back as 1977 1982 much else that's been written by government since there are clear um explicit uh policies uh based on privatization and based on the reduction of the workforce in order to push people into the private sector and that's not that's not even taking account of all the outsourcing, which means that you now have giant American corporations running and deciding who, what and how uh, you can access care. Uh, you know, who provides the care, how you can access it, what services you can and can't have. Um and that's that's a really worrying phenomenon as uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and lastly, where do you think the future of the NHS lies? How how can we continue to provide um, healthcare that's affordable for everyone? Well, it, it's really important that the voices, which are in fact the loudest voices in the media, um, have always been the loudest voices in the media, the ones saying that the NHS is collapsing, uh, it's not fit for purpose, we need to privatise, well they don't say we need to privatise it, some people do, but they, they go for the kind of the thing that they think people will accept, which is, oh we need a, a social insurance scheme, a mixed scheme like Germany's. But in fact, that's completely specious. Um, the German system ranks up until 2021, it ranked seventh or eighth. We were first. They have uh, two and a half times more beds than we do. I, I haven't got the figures in front of me. Um, they've got 50 percent more funding per capita than we have. They've got 65 percent more doctors than we have. Um and yet they still performed significantly more poorly than the NHS did. Um, and they don't sort of highlight the fact that the NHS model, the taxpayer funded model, is the cheapest and most cost efficient way to fund the health service. And the publicly provided service is the cheapest and most cost effective way to provide that health service. So when people say 
that it's the system that's failing. They're either ignorant or they're lying. Uh, those are strong words, but I've seen it often enough, and I've seen the what I would call bad actors who put out this stuff, like the Institute for Economic Affairs, for instance. Um, whereas the truth is, the model remains the best way to provide healthcare to uh, a country, to a population, and the reason that the NHS is failing is very much to do with government policy over the last 12 years and the additional catalysts that we've had in the last few years, five years of Brexit and COVID, of course. But they're catalysts, they're not causes. Um, there is uh, nothing wrong with the NHS model. I mean, far from it. It is proven to be the best model uh, for how to provide the best healthcare to the most people for the population. Um, and so we shouldn't be looking to ditch the model. We should be looking to revive the model uh, with the levels of funding, the levels of staffing, the levels of beds that we had pretty much in the early and middle years of the uh, Blair tenure, the Blair government. So in the early 2000s, um, the NHS was performing very well indeed. Um, and th since 2010, it's gone downhill very sharply indeed. But uh, I can't stress enough, that's a result of active policies, not as a result of a failed model. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, Nick. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I hope that's useful for people. Yeah, so that was uh, that was Nick Mann, uh, who's a GP, and uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting listening to yes, what he had to you say. Know, when well. he said, you know, it's not about changing the model, but it's reviving yeah. it and you know, understanding what how the model is and mm. changing around that. Yeah. Instead of just putting a new whole idea into it. I mean, uh, even he, him, our previous guest, uh, Dr. Tony, also uh, mentioned as well that. I mean, the, it was going okay because the fund because the NHS was getting its funds. Correct. Uh, but then, you know, when the government changed its policies, and in 2010, sort of, it uh, it had to it had to pick up the sort it had to pick up the pieces because that's when the cuts started coming in, yes. and that's when sort of the downfall. I, mean, I don't want to say downfall, but sort of you know getting back on how it used to be, how it used to be as well. Um, so it is. It's not. It's not just about privatizing. Is that the way forward, or st keeping it public? It's mm -hmm. about what what it is. It is public. But it's about you know treating other people and what like just this, this, the thing that you mentioned before as well that the holy prophet of Islam peace and blessings of Allah be upon him he mentioned this that you know do, like for your brother what you like for yourself you know you would wanna you would wanna have good health you would wanna have sound right. health you would wanna be fit and healthy obviously you would want your your you know your your if you want that then you should want your uh, you know your your neighbors your fellow human beings other people, uh, you know, the public, the general public to be fit Indeed. and healthy as well. So that's why, you know, I will ask them, our listeners also, if you can, don't think that the show is over and that's it. If you can, you know, DM us or direct message us or t uh, tweet us or you can call us and let us know what is your opinion regarding NHS being privatised and it, it, I'll be more than happy to read through them and understand out um, what our general public thinks we should either it should be privatized or it should stay public so i want to know the general public's opinion obviously we had experts on with us today mm. and they were enlightening us and the wisdom they have 
and I want but I want to know also what our general public thinks about it. And so uh, to my listeners out there, if you can contact us via Twitter on Voice of Islam UK or even uh, on Instagram, just message us and uh, l- l- share your opinion with us. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the Holy Quran states in uh, chapter 3, verse 111, that, uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is what Allah the Almighty mentions about uh, about the Muslims, that they are the ones who enjoin what is good and they forbid evil. Mm-hmm. Now, in regards to this verse, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he, also, he says about this verse that here, the Quran explains that true Muslims are people who promote goodness and stay away from evil and injustice and encourage others to follow suit. Only a person who has a sincere love for humankind and feels the anguish of God's creation can be caring and sympathetic in the way the Quran desires. Such profound love for humanity is only possible if your heart is pure and free from malice and self uh, and selfishness so you know this is this is the teaching of yes. uh, this is the teaching of islam uh, as well now the uh, the the caliph uh, peace uh, may Allah be his helper also stated that instead of being consumed by materialism and a desire for power every nation whether rich or poor must prioritize the peace and security of the entire world above all else instead of Embarking on an arms race leading to death and destruction, we must join. Uh, we must jo- join the race to save and protect humanity as well. So, prioritizing, uh, you know, prioritizing humanity over other things is uh, is very is you know is very very much important and something that all of us um, need to make sure that we we are doing as well. Um, obviously, you know, the, I mean, you may know or you may not know. That the uh, the the motto of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is love for all, hatred for none. Yes, and this is the passion in which all of us, uh, not just us Ahmadi Muslims, but people all around the world, um, if they live by this motto, love for all, hatred for none, then we can, you know, if we can establish this on a government level, on a national level, an international level, then the whole world would be a much better and a much peaceful uh, place as well, and. In order for this sort of society to exist, there is a necessity for a social system that upholds the rights and responsibilities uh, for, 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 of everyone. Uh, and it's important to promote equality, equity, justice for everyone uh, as well. So with these words, we'll you know, conclude the show. Thank you to all of our guests and, of course, our producers as well, Munahir Nasir and Kafia Ahmed. Uh, of course, to our guests as well, pleasure uh, presenting with you, Saad. Until next Likewise. time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.